ever stepped onto a car dealership lot and had several salesmen or saleswomen descend on you like vultures and within minutes put keys in your hand to the perfect car, not the one you chose, but the one that they chose for you after just a couple of minutes of superficial conversation. And when you say, I can't afford it, they say, don't worry about it. With our special 200-month financing, you can afford anything on the lot. And you say, well, you know what, I really need to discuss this with my spouse. And they go, whoa, <laughs> you can't discuss it with anybody. In fact, if you leave, this deal is off the table because it's only good for six minutes and 38 seconds. Oh, by the way, if you take it right now, I'll throw in a free plastic cup holder. Oh, and did they show you their, the pictures of their 14 children who need daddy or mommy to sell a car, otherwise they can't eat tonight? You know, the key words often spoken in their one-sided conversation is the same as Joe Isuzu used to say on those old commercials, trust me. Such people are willing to make a one-time sale, primarily benefiting themselves rather than create a relationship that might last for years. They push foolishness over wisdom. Do you remember when we could not do all of our research ahead of time, knowing exactly how much we should pay, how much everybody else paid, and what all the options were? Do you remember when we could not verify things instantly? When we didn't have Siri, Alexa, now known as Ziggy, or Google at our fingerprints, uh, fingertips? And most of the time, by the way, we could take people at their word because they were good for it. I need you to pay attention for a minute. The ninth chapter of Proverbs was written by King Solomon to teach us the difference between wisdom and foolishness. He perf uh, personifies wisdom and calls her Kothmuth and gives foolishness the name Kishaluth Isha. Now, before you think Solomon is being sexist by making them women, the words in Hebrew are of the feminine gender. Unlike English, most Hebrew words are either masculine or feminine, and these words, wisdom and foolishness, happen to be feminine. Now, the other day after Governor Ige had his press conference uh, announcing the new restrictions, I decided to Google COVID-19. Here's what I discovered. First, there are 3 billion, 300 million different websites that talk about COVID-19. Now, if you narrow it down just to masks or social distancing uh, and vaccinations, uh, you get down to 1,800,000. 76,100,000 or 74,400,000 respectively. Now for the 3 billion web page question. How do you know which of these sites are wisdom and which ones are foolishness? And how do you know the difference? Despite God's ringing endorsement of wisdom in our text, I have to admit I got a little worried. Obviously, Wisdom hasn't been tracking the rise in COVID cases. Otherwise, she would not have sent out an invitation to the party of the year, inviting everyone to show up without masks, social distancing, or proof of vaccination. But maybe she's got a couple billion of those clear plastic giant hamster balls. I have to admit, that would make the party absolutely safe and a lot of fun. And Martin Luther does say, put the best construction on things. So that's the way that I'm going to imagine it. Now, Wisdom sends her servants out to invite the inexperienced to the party. By the way, the word inexperienced here means innocent. Innocent in the sense that they really are wide open and they want to know, but they don't. She promises them bread and drink and understanding. 
It's a rather strange combination, kind of like pepperoni and maraschino cherries on a pizza, but to each their own. The party favors, besides the bread and the drink, which happen to be wine, and she said it's fine wine, is instruct a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will learn more. Wisdom says, just by showing up at the party, you've proved that you're wise. But when you leave, you'll be wiser still. Frederick Beekner said, wisdom is a matter not only of the mind, but of the heart. Like a woman's wisdom. It is born out of suffering as a woman bears a child. It shows a way through the darkness, the way a woman stands at the window holding a lamp. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, says Solomon. Then adding, just in case there should be any lingering question as to her gender. And all of her paths are peace. In today's world, when was the last time you heard anyone saying, above all, I want wisdom? Being rich, being popular, being powerful, being an influencer? Yes. Being wise? Haven't heard that for quite a while. You know, there was a time when you had to list all your sources on research papers. Remember all those endnotes and footnotes? And the teacher would actually check to make sure that the book you quoted actually existed and that you didn't take the quote out of context. Today, you just put Wikipedia and YouTube as the source for everything and you're good. Not quite the same thing. Wisdom doesn't even require you to RSVP for the party. Just show up, sit down, feast to your heart's content. I hope she checked with the mayor and the governor, otherwise they're not going to be happy if she doesn't have all that contact tracing information we're supposed to have. I think the folks who put together the lectionary did us a disservice by stopping at verse 9. In verse 13, we're introduced to a foolish woman who lives down the road and who is rowdy, gullible, and knows nothing. She doesn't have any servants, so she has to try and flag you down before you get to Wisdom's house and the banquet that's prepared there. See, she knows that once you taste Wisdom's feast, well, you'll never settle for what she's offering. But if she can get you to try her junk food, some of those deep-fried Oreos or Twinkies, well, she can keep you hooked. She throws nails out on the road to flatten your tires. She puts up detour signs that take you into her driveway. Uh, she uh, spray paints the 55 mile an hour speed limit and tries to make it look like 15, so you have to go really slowly. And then, in her huskiest of voice, with maybe a little leg showing out of her tattered dress, she gives you that come hither look and she does her best impression of Mae Wist. Why don't you come up and see me sometime, big boy? St. Paul won't be around for almost a thousand years after Solomon writes his Proverbs, but he is a big fan. In Ephesians 5, St. Paul wants to help make sure that you make it all the way to Wisdom's home. So he sends AAA right there, so they're waiting to fix your flat tires. He knocks down the detour signs. He uses the same spray paint to fix it so that it's back to 55 mile an hour, so you speed right past foolishness right to Wisdom's front door. Paul says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise. Don't be foolish. And then he gives specific examples like make the most of the time and life you have. Understand what the will of the Lord is and be filled with the Spirit. I love the book of Proverbs and it gives incredible insights. Considering they were written 3,000 years ago, they haven't lost anything in either the translation or their power a proverb is a short teaching based on a lot of experience, and they often come with the subtleness of a sledgehammer. I've heard people say the book of Proverbs is a cross between reading a fortune cookie and a Dear Abby advice column. Rarely is it advice you asked for, but when you read it, 
you realize it's the advice that you needed. And the hope is that you get to read it before you need it. The Proverbs are gospel. I know they look and sound a lot like law. But read in the right light, they are pure gospel. They point out we can never try hard enough or be good enough to conform to God's laws. But when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us, we begin the process of being transformed. Fourteen times the book of Proverbs reminds us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Oh, and by the way, the word fear there doesn't mean to be afraid. It means holy reverence. That wisdom begins with letting God be God. In truth, the Proverbs are not for people outside the church. Oh, they may enjoy the down-to-earth blunt honesty, but they're not going to get everything that wisdom, the wisdom in the Proverbs, is offering. Because this wisdom can only be given, not taken, learned, or grabbed. And it requires the Holy Spirit to take the words off the page and place them in your heart. The Proverbs call God's people beyond the theoretical to the practical beyond the mind to the soul, and beyond just believing to actually living. Greek wisdom is all about philosophical meanderings that have no beginning or end, letting the mind run freely as it thinks about what is and what isn't and how all, the, all of them might be somehow connected. Biblical wisdom in her feast is different. It is about figuring out how to actually live and make your life worth living. We have created an age of information. It's fast, it's loud, it's superficial, it's mind-numbing. Alexa, what is the temperature in Siberia right now? Siri, who invented the donut? Google, what is pi to the 364th place? It's all fun, but other than getting a good laugh, what good is it? Foolishness is a microwave. Yeah, wisdom's more of a crockpot. Wisdom is slower, deeper, far more long-lasting. Wisdom is also a little elusive because there are things that we can't completely understand. And we have to be okay with that. Which is why wisdom teaches us that God does understand. Which is why it's okay to be okay with that. Wisdom helps us make our way forward by clearing out the information fog. We don't get nearly as much useless stuff to help us win the next trivia contest. But what we do learn is actually useful, and it's even necessary as we take the next steps in this journey called life. As I mentioned, the Proverbs are all about practicality, so let's get a little practical. I was having a pity party a few weeks ago, and someone came to me, dear friend, and quoted Maria from The Sound of Music. When the Lord closes a door, he always opens a window. Well, making sure we were on the first floor, I was looking for that open window to shove my friend out of. But I stopped when I realized, while not biblically or theologically sound, what they said did have a little merit. You see, all of us need a little hope, even if we would rather keep the pity party going. Hope captivates us, so we begin to become more than who we thought we were, and begin to live what we thought was impossible, but now begin to think it just might be probable. Years ago, my wife would host Longaburger Basket or Sinceria Beauty Product Parties. Now, the pur purpose of hosting those parties was the free gifts and the discounts you got. In addition, by the way, to spending some great time with friends and getting a little encouragement such as, hey, you deserve another basket. You definitely deserve another tube of body scrub. And in that moment, with your friends egging you on, you turn and you say, you know what? I do deserve it. But will you still feel the same way the next morning, especially when you go to balance the checkbook? 
This is not to say another basket or body scrub isn't a good thing. But is it what you really wanted? Is it what you really needed? Is it what is going to bring you total and complete understanding and satisfaction? Like all sale points, you aren't really selling the product or the service. You're selling what the product or the service will do for you. And this is where the difference between wisdom and foolishness becomes very, very clear. Foolishness offers you instant gratification and instant happiness. Wisdom offers you deep satisfaction and joy. Foolishness fades quickly. Wisdom is in it for the long run. Foolishness says, I can help you win trivial pursuit. Wisdom says, you know what? We can make your life worth living. I've come to see real hope in something we get surprised by because hope is what is left after everything else has failed. A few weeks ago, when Jesus multiplied fish and bread and fed the multitude, it was definitely a feast for the ages. Even for someone like me, for whom fish are friends and not food, I would have been happy with the bread as long as there was some good Wisconsin butter or cheese to go with it. But can we be content with just a full stomach? Foolishness says it's enough. Wisdom says there's actually a lot more. Jumping to the gospel lesson, Jesus says, unless you feast on me, you have no life in you. And he gets a little graphic, even cannibalistic, if we only listen to the words with our brain. Have you actually thought about John chapter 6 and the whole, unless you eat and drink? So what's going on in your life right now? What are your deepest fears, your greatest hopes, the monotonous humdrums that bring doubts? Every day you make a million decisions, from breathing to eating to answering the phone to the words that you use when you talk to the various people. What is the purpose of all those decisions? Where are they leading you? What is your goal? And are all the decisions working together or are they just random abstract things that may or may not work? Foolishness says, who cares? La vida loca. Wisdom says there can be a purpose behind all these decisions, which will change your life, bring you satisfaction, and make your life something that you actually enjoy living. Long before God spoke the words, let there be, in Genesis, He imagined you and all you would become. And by the way, He chose to give you a brain, a heart, and a soul. He gave you emotions, creativity, and eternity. He did so knowing that if any of the three ever got out of balance, it would be dangerous. But God did it anyway, because He knew that you needed all three of them to discover life, to live life, and to make it count. When Jesus died to take away your sins and restore your soul, He did not then remove your heart and your mind. But He did say, whoever wants to follow me has to take up their cross. And in today's gospel, as strange as it may seem, Jesus said, well, you know, you are what you eat, and if you feast on me, well, you will find the life that you've been looking for. But it really does all depend on what you're looking for in life, in love, in eternity. Microwave or crockpot, instant gratification or deep satisfaction, mere existence or a fulfilled life. You are far more able than any medical book knows. What you have within you is the ability to know with your heart, your mind, and your soul, giving you the perfect balance so that your life can mean something right now, but also be ready for everything 
that happens next. The Christian faith it kicks at the darkness until daylight breaks through. It doesn't take the easy road or give up unnecessarily. Wisdom invited you to the party, and the party favor you will receive is knowing your God, yourself, and your world in such a way that all of them begin to work together, not against each other. And by the way, when they work together, it's not just about heaven and eternity. It's also about the here and the now. And it all starts with understanding that fear, reverence for God, is the beginning of wisdom. I'll see you at the party. It's something we don't want to miss. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.